You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, everyone. It's Jim here. We're taking a short break while we prepare for the next season of the podcast. And so we're using the opportunity to revisit some of our favorite interviews. This week is from basketball coach, Sandy Brondello. Sandy has coached all over the world and her global perspective is fascinating in the context of modern leadership. We hope you enjoy this as much as we did. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Jim Wolfrey, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we interview great sporting coaches to try and find ideas to help us all lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Sandy Brondello. Sandy is a former professional basketball player and now a coach in the WNBA in America. Sandy started playing for Australia at the age of 18. She went on to represent the national team at four Olympics and won three medals, one bronze and two silver. She has played basketball for teams in America, Australia and Germany. In 2003, she began her coaching career as an assistant with the San Antonio Silver Stars. She became a head coach in the WNBA in 2010 and then in 2014 won the national title and the coach of the year with the Phoenix Mercury, where she is still coaching. In 2017, 
Sandy was appointed head coach of the Australian women's national basketball team, the Opals. The highlights of this discussion for me were Sandy's observations that great coaches are very consistent in what they do and who they are, and this helps them to know what buttons they can push to get the very best out of their athletes. Coaching today and the WNBA has changed from where it started 24 years ago in that the coaches can scout the opposition more and therefore change their game plans accordingly. You'll hear Sandy mention being a servant leader, that by putting the needs of her athletes first, she is able to help them develop to perform to the very best of their abilities, and how she gets tremendous satisfaction from coaching people who are able to grow and develop. This was a down-to-earth conversation with a great coach who just loves the challenges of what she does. I hope you enjoy it as much as Paul and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Sandy Brondello, good morning to you and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. I would like to ask with a really deep, meaningful and challenging question, if I could, where are you in the world and what have you been up to so far? (laughs) I'm actually back in Phoenix, Arizona in America. Um, This is where I live when I'm not obviously traveling around and playing in a WNBA season in uh, a bubble in Florida. So I've been back just under two weeks after, you know, once you lose, you're out. It's kind of a, an abrupt ending to the season once you've done that. But yeah, Phoenix is my home and um, Australia, I, I get to go back there fairly often because of the Australian team. So I kind of like that. Well, we are very happy to have a little bit of your time today after you having such an intense period in the in the bubble. So I would like to start this interview actually by winding the clock back a little bit because you've had a, a great career and I've, there's still a long way to go, I know, but already you've had exposure to some wonderful coaches, Dan Hughes, Carol Ross, Adrian Hurley, to name just a few. So just an easy question to begin with. What do you think the great coaches do differently? Oh, that's a, you know, that's a a really great question. But I would probably say I think they're very consistent in what they do and and who they are. You kind of know they're not going to change from one day to the next, their systems or their personality. I think consistency helps players because you kind of get to know, you know, what buttons you can push and what you can't push, basically. But at the same time, I think the great coaches are also adaptable to the players that they have. And that's what makes them special. They're not like, this is the only way that we can play. I think that's the, you know, as coaches, you've got to kind of adapt to the, the, the different talent levels that you get, the changing styles. I mean, basketball's changed over the years, how it's played. Um, so adapting to the players, I think that's what makes the great players great, uh, great coaches great. Actually, talking about adaptability, you've been in the WNBA for 21 of the league's 24 years, which is quite amazing. And I'd like to ask, how have you seen coaching evolve over that period? Um, Look, I think there's been great coaches, even when I was, you know, way back starting, they were all different. It's, you know, it's quite interesting. I think, you know, and that was a a great journey for me because, you know, you kind of see, okay, that worked. What was, what was so great about that player, that coach and style that, I, as a, someone that obviously went into the coaching profession, could take a few things away from it and learn from those certain experiences. But I think the biggest thing uh, right now, the difference, coaches back then were great too. They're great now. But I think it's more, it's more scout-driven. I think we scout opponents probably way more um, than what we do. And we're able to change some of the 
the systems on the fly a little bit, like adding plays or being a little bit more creative and how we want to, you know, maybe our uh, pick and roll scheming. Um, so that I probably would say that, but I think you know, it doesn't, back then they were experienced coaches and here it's experienced coaches and, you know, maybe probably more coaches now, probably a little bit more relational, but I can't even say that all the time because I've had so many great coaches that had, you know, they were relational too, that which made them special in my opinion as well. You're famous for many things, but one of them is your work ethic. And I know that you grew up in the top end of Australia on a farm. My wife grew up on a farm too, and she still complains about the chores to this day. But I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering what elements of your coaching philosophy today can you trace back to that experience growing up in the top end of Australia? Uh, yeah, firstly, I mean, I loved being a country girl. And, you know, I always say I'm still a bit of a country girl at heart. I, I still speak a lot of slang. I know that much. Um, but that, so that hasn't lost me. But in, you saw that you, how, you, how hard your parents worked. I mean, my mum was a, a stay-at-home mum, but she still had four kids, um, you know, taken care of. But being a, I'm a, a daughter of a sugarcane farmer. So you see all the hard work that goes in to making sure that you have a great crop. Um, it's terrible when you have to rely on the weather. But, you know, I think hard work, obviously – dedication because you've got to be dedicated to your craft to be to get the best crop that you can um you have to have discipline and you know i mean a lot of great traits that you know i get to to learn from there um and while you know my brothers used to work on the farm too once they left school so a little bit of teamwork but understanding you know my dad was the boss but teamwork to make sure that we could get the best crop we could every single year it's fascinating talking to you about it. There's such a connection between your early life and the, the traits that you're known for as a coach. But you've also said you had a wonderful career, played all over the world, but you've also said you get more satisfaction from coaching than playing. And I'd like to ask, what is it about coaching that you like so much? <laughs> yeah, I know I've said that a few times. It's interesting. I loved playing. Don't get me wrong there. I mean, in 17 years playing for the Australia, that was a great highlight. But you, you, you faced a lot of adversity as, as well during that. But I think that adversity helped me to be who I am now. I was able to play different roles. I, you know, I wasn't always the starter or the star of a team and understanding how to play a role and be effective and because uh, it is a team game. Uh, but look, I, I, I suppose coaching... You know, obviously now I'm in control of all those players and trying to get the best of every single player because they're all important. It's not just starters and bench. I try and make them know that they're all important for the overall success of the team. And I think that gives me satisfaction. And and the wins and losses is more about, you know, let's make this a, a great team environment. Love the challenge. but And then through the losses, obviously, let's learn from them and make sure that we can be a better team the next time. You talk a lot, actually, in interviews. What about camaraderie? And one of the reasons you chose, I understand you were very good at other sports, but one of the reasons you chose basketball was that sense of camaraderie. And I'm wondering, you know, in sports where the financial rewards can be significant, as can the fine line between performance and poor performance, how can you still build that sense of camaraderie and goodwill in teams that are so professional at that level? Look, I think it's just really the passion it's the passion that each and every player brings because it, it's a team game. You always look back. I mean, I always, I don't remember scores. Some, some of my teammates, former teammates like Rachel Spawn, she goes, oh, we won that by three points. I remember 
the memories of with the players, you know, what players were there and, you know, that camaraderie, I mean, that's obviously lifelong and I enjoyed that process. So I think the most important thing, the camaraderie is like, you know, obviously having that right culture and that we're there for each other. You said I was a Queens, I was an Australian champion in long jump at the age of 12, but I was a shy girl growing up um, on a, a country farm and, you know, I liked being around my friends. I liked enjoying the successes with somebody else, not just, you know, me. And, um, and that's, that hasn't changed now. I, I, I said it's a team game and I think I get way more satisfaction when we do it as a team. But the best successes and the most memorable ones is when, you know, obviously the teammates that I had. And, and now I have, obviously, you know, I'm the leader of the team. So culture is important. And that's from me as the leader all the way down to, you know, obviously the equipment manager and, you know, my training staff people. I get a, you know, I think when we enjoy the processes, process of playing basketball and, and winning games, it, that, they're the things that you remember. Culture is such a big word. There's values in there. There's behaviors, there's respect. There's all kinds of things. If, if you were to give someone advice, they're moving into a new team, any kind of team, community group, work group, sports group, what would you tell them they need to do first to set up and build a, a winning culture? Uh, I think the first thing you have to do is build relationships, you know, obviously in, in anything, because without that, you don't build trust even like this year, you know, obviously did a lot of Zooms and had only five players returning from last year. So, you know, my first thing that I did was just build relationships, get to know them on a personal level, kind of where they're coming from, how they tick, you know, and I talk about, you know, I like to say it's a family. So I kind of understand that. Um, I think I'm very, you know, I'm very honest, but I'm very fair in my leadership. Like I'm, my, my job is to get the best out of them, you know, like be a servant leader but, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, if you get those relationships, it's easier for, especially, you know, your culture, your best players have to buy into that. And I think, obviously, if you see, you know, if I can be the leader where it's relational, but, you know, obviously I'm the leader of the pack, but we're all in it together. I think that's how, that's where we've had the most success in all the teams I've been on. Well, talking about success, your 2014 team wins the league. You're awarded Coach of the Year, but they're actually also regarded as the greatest team ever to play in the WNBA so far. What was special about that team and that culture that made them stand apart? Uh, I had champion players that were very selfless and were only concerned about winning. And now that's, that doesn't always happen, you know, and that was my first year in Phoenix. So obviously that was a dream year, but you know, the, the foundation was already in place with the players and it was just me coming in and, and putting in a system that I thought would complement the players. But in the end, it was the best players buying in. You know, Diana Taurasi, had uh, Penny Taylor, uh, Dewana Bonner, Candice Dupree and Brittany Griner were my starting five. And they're superstars in their own making. But for us to have the most success, they had to buy into doing it together. And they did. We had five players in double figures. But look, you can't win with just five players. So it's like, you know, the role players had to accept their roles on the team for it to be successful and you know a season that I'll I'll never forget I you know I'd like to get back to that it's really hard to you know we only we went 29 and only lost five games that whole year which is really amazing the league gets stronger and stronger every year um, so you're trying to you know get back to that and yeah, we just had really good people. They're all about winning. So it kind of made my job easier. But when the best players buy in, 
that was the difference. And when, then we just took one game at a time approach and everything, you know, just kind of worked for us and um, like, yeah, great memories. Anything special you did to get them to buy in any moment or event? No, look, I think the biggest thing was I was coaching Diana Trussi as an assistant coach in Ogemka in Russia at the time. Um, so, you know, I think obviously she saw the work that I put into it and, you know, obviously the relationships I had to players and, and my thought processes and how we should play the game. And, and I think she really helped me get that job, to be quite honest. So she went into bat for me. So obviously when a player like that, you know, obviously that's your leader everyone's looking to and she's she thinks this is the right way and she's buying in and, um, you know, that just trickles down to all the other players. And, but like I said, I think I'm a, I'm a former player, so I'm really big on relationships. Um, and, but that was an easy, one of the easier years to be quite honest, because they were just very driven and, and, and wanted to win and win together. You know, you've talked already in this, this discussion about treating players like family. You've mentioned that word and the importance of relationships and it's great, but, there's also this line that, that coaches have to find, you know, getting to know players intimately enough to be able to push their buttons, but also being able to stand back and make decisions for the team and finding that line is really difficult. And I'm wondering if you've got any advice for other coaches on how to find that line, that balance. Well, I think it's about the the culture that's set. Um, so every year before I start a season, I, I get the players on and, and I talk about, okay, what's important for us to be the best team that we could be. And it's driven by the team. It's not, I'm not a dictator coach. I'm not, you know, we're going to do this, 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 because then I wouldn't have buy-in. It just doesn't work now. Maybe it worked many, many years ago, but it just doesn't work now. So it's more like, okay, what culture do we need? What are the, what's important for us to be the best team that we could be? And obviously you always hear about, you know, and this is driven by the players. So I'm taking notes and, okay, you know, I let them all talk and, you know, accountability is always up there, you know. So it's like, okay, you want accountability. So that they want that. So that makes my job easier. Look, I, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm a very positive coach, but then I, when I need to get on them, I can because, well, this is what we have agreed on. So, you know, when it's driven by team values, I think that makes my job easier and I'm not some of that rants and raves every single time but when I do yell <laughs> yeah I'll get their attention you know because it's like okay yeah okay I can go to a limit but when we're not uh, playing the right way or playing together or if there's bad body language or selfishness I mean that's what would get me going and 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 it enables me because I've, I've already we've, we've set the culture together as a team so my job is just to go out there and be the leader. You know, I'm the leader of the group and, you know, I have to make sure I'm keeping it all together because if it, if I don't keep it together, you're not going to have as much success as you would like. Are there any other values or behaviours that, that are non-negotiable for you, really central to your philosophy as a coach? Yeah, look, I, I dislike selfish players. And look, you know, some of the best players, you have to be have a little bit of selfish tendencies because that's what makes them great. But I'm talking more about, you know, obviously making the right decisions out there. We talk about good to great. You know, let's give up a good shot to get a great shot. So that's ball player movement. That's teamwork. Paint to great. Making sure we have good versatility, not just shooting outside. We're getting penetration. So, and I've been lucky that I want that. I've got players that want to win. And that's that comes down when you're forming a team, we look at that. What kind of player can she come in and play the role that we need her to play? 
So it's us building teams too. Now, it doesn't, doesn't always work there. And it's not to say, I think I can bring one in and say, you know, okay, I think she can buy into the how we want to play. Um, and sometimes if they don't at the pro level, well, they're not here next year. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. But another thing I, I dislike, and, and, you know, for women, they're so hard on themselves. You know, it's so, like, emotional. Like, you know, trying to communicate to them. Sometimes I have to let them work it out themselves. But I, don't, I dislike bad body language when it affects other people. You know what I mean? And, you know, sometimes they get down on themselves, but they don't realise how it could affect somebody else. So there are things that I try and control. You know, how can you be the best player on this team? And, and they're the non-negotiables that, you know, obviously I have to make sure that they're buying into. It's funny. You sound like such a balanced coach, like such a calm individual. And yet <laughs> when I read interviews, the word intense, well, particularly as a player, you were known for your intensity and the depth of your preparation. Um, and I'm wondering when you crossed over into coaching, did you have to learn to manage that intensity and, and to step back at times? Yeah, that's funny that you think that people think I was uh, intense. I was, I was driven, you know, I was driven in terms. I wasn't someone that go out there and be trash talking. I'd only trash talk when someone would talk back to me, but not even by words. I'd do it by actions to be quite honest. Cause it would, you know, Hey, come on, you know, driven like that. I let my, uh, my game do the talking because <laughs> I don't think I'd be a great trash talker anyway. I think the intensity people talk about is I love the game. You know, I still love the game. That same passion is burning since the first day that I touched the uh, ball at the age of nine, started playing basketball. Um, so I think it's in my preparation. I worked extremely hard. I sacrificed a lot of things to be the best player I could be you know, missing out on weddings and births and holidays because I needed to train going out. So probably people probably think I was narrow focused and maybe sometimes a little too much. And that's what I, I can relate back to my players. Now you have to have a balanced approach. I, I went too far one way um, in my younger years, like, okay, you know, I can't do this. Can't, you know, go out drinking. I got to practice tomorrow, but now it's about balance. I don't need to train every single day because sometimes those days are really going to help me. So I think that I brought the same thing to my coaching, to be quite honest. I, I just love what I do, but I do realize I still need balance. And I think how um, being a mother, that helps me be more balanced now because, you know, at times, and my kids may not always think that I'm clicking off because uh, I'm busy, especially in the, the bubble recently, it was hard to click off because I was every, just preparing for the next game nonstop. But, you know, they kind of come home and, you know, my son will go, hey, bad luck, mum, you know, he'll give me an evaluation. And that kind of brings me down, you know, it takes my blood pressure down a little bit, like, yeah, okay. And I'm, that's something I've learned now. I've learned it from my playing experience that over to the coaching, I can stew on something overnight and the next day I, I have to move on. So that's, um, that's one of the traits I have. I have to move on. Like, I'm not going to go to practice and be a grumpy old, I can be grumpy. I do that on purpose sometimes, but I'm not going because we played so bad. It's more like, well, what do we need to change? I'm not the coach that comes in and just, you know, unless I have to do it for a reason, I try and move on to the next day. And I think I'm evenly balanced like that now. And, and I, I learned that from my playing career. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Tactician, psychologist, trainer. Yes. Uh, motivator, teacher, what part of coaching is it that you enjoy the most? Oh, I mean, all of it, really. Well, I love, like, building the relationships. I love the preparation, obviously putting game plans together, the scouting, watching our opponent and coming up with the game plan to, to help us. I like everything, you know, kind of at the start of the year, developing the playbook and, but not being um, scared to change it. If it just doesn't work, I think I'm adaptable and like that. I just love the challenge. And, and I love coaching at the highest level because obviously you're going every single day is a, you know, it's hard to win in this league, WNBA and obviously world championship and Olympics. I just love putting a team together and, and seeing them come together together and, and working on areas that we need to build on. So I love every single process of being a, a, being a coach, being a head coach, of being a leader. But you know, I like to say I'm a servant leader. You know, my goal is to make sure I'm not a micromanager of my staff. I was like, you know what you need to do. I'll step in where it, when it needs to, like even my um, training staff as well too, because they're all specialized in what they do. But I love when it's, you know, obviously teamwork and we all have the same aspirations and we want to be the, the best team we can be. So it's everyone just, you know, doing their roles to the best of their ability. And I try and make it a fun uh, environment. And fun doesn't mean it's not hard, but you've got to enjoy all the struggles along the way to enjoy all the successes on the way. So I think um, I just, I love the whole journey from day one of training camp until the very last day. And, and, and it's always, like I said, the last two weeks I just got out of the bubble, but it's, it's kind of, I don't know what to do with myself. I've just been busy for so long. I'm lucky that I'm also the Australian Opals coach, so I can start planning for that next one and getting onto that. Cause you know, just having, you know, I like to have purpose with what I'm doing and, you know, and, and areas I know where I can still get better at. So that's what I, that's, it's a, it just keeps evolving. I wanna, I'd like to ask you about fun, but can I just take one little sidestep? You've mentioned servant leadership twice. Was it, did you do the book or the course? Was there something that particularly resonated? I know there is a famous book. I haven't read it, but is there something that connected with you that when you came across that theory? No, not really. I mean, I've, I've spoken to, you know, you see other coaches where you say, you know, some were dictators, some were, you know, yeah. authoritarians and some were player coaches, some were servant coaches, just the way that they they cared about each individual. And that's what I think. Like I care, we talk about family. I care about each individual that's on the team. And even though they're no longer on the team, they're still a part of my family. Now, family means like, you know, that doesn't mean I'm their best friend, <laughs> but they know that I, I'm there and I have their back. So many coaches put so much effort into me, which I'm forever grateful for because it helped me to be the best that I could be. And that's my job now as a coach. I want them to make sure they have that same passion that I have. I mean, and I can't give them that passion, but they have it. I want to make sure I'm growing that passion in the right way because so many girls now obviously stop playing sport for some reason. So I want to make sure I'm helping, you know, women and, and girls along this journey that, I think when you can see some fun and you can, you know, make it some fun and enjoy the, 
the team environment that you have, that's when you can have the most success. And that's what you remember the most when you look back in 20 years or so. But you also, you also said there's fun in the struggle. And what really connected with me actually just today, I was reading uh, an article in the press about not having scores in junior sporting matches. And I, 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 have, I don't like that idea. I think there is something in the fact of struggling and moving forward that can also be fun. And I know that you're a parent. How do you feel about building or resilience in, in children, but also building resilience in your athletes? Well, I think it's, it's really probably one of the most important things. You know, how, how do you handle adversity? And that's what I tell my kids too. Like they know about my career, but they never got a chance to watch me play or anything. And, you know, they're starting sport and, you know, basketball and soccer, the, um, my daughter. They think everything was easy. You know, oh, you went to four Olympics and you've done all this. And I'm like, but it, was as, it wasn't always easy. You know, I said, I, like, 1988 Olympics, I was young, eight, going on 1920. I didn't play one minute. So, and I said, do you think that was easy? You know, I said, it wasn't easy um, because I was a competitor, but I realized, realized it was a part of my journey. So, and that's what I talk about, you know, like selfish, like, you know, like understanding your role. Obviously, that wasn't my time. So what did it, it wasn't, I look back and it's like, well, what am I going to do? be poor me. Well, if I start being selfish and all that and being an individual on court, well, that's not going to help me to, to be, to play a bigger role moving forward. So all I did, I worked harder, you know, I worked harder. Um, I was the fittest I could possibly be. I was very coachable. I was a great teammate, cheered him on. And my time come that following year, I was already in the rotation. You know, I'm not talking about my club team. I'm talking about the Australian team, the very best. So, and then it was a process. And then I was, you know, 2000 Olympics, I was starting. And then, you know, 2004, I was more like, a, you know, playing bit minutes. But I realised my role was there to mentor the, the younger players and to help them. So, you know, everyone sees only the good things. But players, even at the top, they go through so much adversity. But I think that was a defying moment for me that kind of helped to be the person that I am. And that's why it's so important for my teams. I think the most successful teams handle adversity. And if you, and, and really, how do you, how do you grow as a person? And that's why, you know, how you, or, or as a sports person is through the negative experience. Now I try and make sure that, and, you know, I, I know you've read a quote from me. I say, and I stole, it's not my quote. It's, you know, the lesson of the experience is always positive, even though at the time it was negative and it's very painful but sometimes we have to go through those hard times to fully appreciate the good times, the successful times. And that's how I'm driven. Like, you know, losses. <laughs> I hate losing, but that's why I told you. It's like, oh, and it's not about, I don't, it's not blame on the players. I always blame myself. I'm my hardest critic. There's things I could have done better. I don't point the finger on what can I do better? So that's why I look at it and like, okay, I need to be better. And it's, you know, continual. You're not going to win every single game but there's always lessons to be learned in every single game. And that's what I do as a, I reflect and then I learn and I, then I move on to the next game and hopefully I can be better. And that's why when I was a player, every single day I went to work to be the best I could be. I wasn't trying to be, you know, someone else on my team, beating them out. It's no different as a coach. I want to make sure I'm learning from my, those experiences and then making sure I do a better job next time. There's always going to click over. There's always something to be learned. And that's the joy of this game. I love the competition. I love the challenges. And, but they're great learning experiences. And I try and pass it on to my kids because, you know, they just you know, want things to come too easy. 
You know, you're not going to get satisfaction if things are too easy in life. Although, in defence of your children, they are <laughs> shuffling between Russia, America, Australia pretty regularly. So that must be a good lesson in resilience for them, you know, moving around so often. No, my children are the same. They don't know any different though. So, but you know, yeah, exactly. And all kids, you want the best for them, but they have to sometimes go through the negative ones. And you, your thing is you got to just be there for them and help them along the way. And that's why I say like being a certain coach, you know, you want to help them. You know, they're going through some tough times. How can I help them? Sometimes they got to help themselves, but you got to make sure that you're there and su- providing the support. That's, you know, that's what we do as parents. That's what we have to do as coaches too. But, you know, sometimes the, the great players, they have to want the help to be able to continue to grow. We, we interviewed, we were lucky enough to interview Eddie Jones, the coach of the English rugby team. And he had this really interesting insight. And he said, look, we, he was talking about how he coaches younger, younger athletes, you know. Um, and he said, you don't try to solve the problem for them. You tell them the problem. You tell them you're ready to help and you let them sort it out. Whereas the older, the older players want, want, uh, want more guidance and direction. How do you cope with this whole idea of direction versus recommendation in helping your, your players overcome their difficulties? Um, look, I think in, in us, I think what we do is, is like a, we show them a lot of visual. You know, we try to. Sometimes it's harder than yeah, we want to do more. But if they can see something, and, and you kind of ask, you need to ask players too, what do you see? You know, so this is how we're trying to develop their basketball IQ, so to speak, and them understanding what do they see? Because sometimes what they see and what you see is two things that are totally different. So it's just aligning. Okay, so what do you see here? And then letting them speak and then giving them direction for what they've said. And maybe they're on the on the nail and sometimes they're not. But just problem, don't be problem-based. You have to be solution-based. Well, like, this is what you did. So, you know, this is what you need to do, you know, otherwise, because you don't want to spoon feed everybody because otherwise they don't know how to get through challenges and they're always going to look to someone higher up to, okay, so what do I do? What am I supposed to do now? It's like, well, you need to work it out. You know, we'll give you the solutions. And then sometimes it's just hard work. Sometimes you need to go through that. We always, I like to say, you know, life is like we're going into a storm. We're either going into it. We're in the middle of it and it's going crazy, but you know you're going to come out of it, you know, and it's a matter of time. So it's being, that's where you develop the persistent nature, you know, that where you have to be, you know, you've got the narrow focus, but you have to sometimes let go <laughs> and to, to actually fulfill the, the potential that each and every one of us has, regardless of what kind of area of expertise that we're in or wanting to get in. Um, the challenges is the, and the experiences, the next you know, the negative ones that we have, it's really what shapes us as, as human beings and puts us in a position. Some of us may be a great leaders. Some of us maybe not. They'd rather just be, just be a part of a team and that's okay. <laughs> I'd like to talk about basketball IQ for a minute if I could, because I read that one of the more unusual things you did to develop your handling skills was wear some goggles on a squash court with one of your coaches <laughs> at the time. I'm wondering, are there any other unusual methods that you've used to help a player develop a skill that they may have been comparatively weak in? Uh, look, I suppose, I mean, that was uh, Adrian Hurl and I mean, he was great. One of my, his, you know, he's my mentor. I could say that he's still my mentor. If I never reach out, he gives a, you know, a positive word sometimes. We all need that. 
you know, I remember going to the AIS and I was a shooter. Like I, my dad, I had a grass court and, you know, my dad made some, put some woods together and made a backboard and on a water tank. So, you know, I could shoot. I just, you know, couldn't dribble because it's one dribble and or two dribbles, you'd lose the ball and the rocks that were on the grass and on the uneven surface. So he came in, he said, I want you to be the point guard. And my first thing was, yeah, no, no, can't do that. I'm not a very good dribbler. And he just worked with me for three months. You know, and just, you know, this is the Australian men's coach at the time, coaching, uh, you know, coaching me individually at the AOS. So forever remember those um, memories because, you know, he wanted me to be great, you know, and and wanted to work on those uh, weaknesses that I had and believed in me. I think that goes a long way. You know, his, him believing in me really was what kept me going all these years too. And that's that one person. Um, and I think someone like that resonates with the people in our lives that resonate, which kind of put us on that right path that kept us going to fulfill, you know, our dreams and goals. But look, I think, you know, in, in basketball IQ, I always say, can you teach basketball IQ? You know, my husband and I, he's a professional coach as well. Uh, also, we have those discussions all the time. It's like, can you? It's like, yeah, it's such a hard thing. I think you can teach them some things. They either, you know, have a feel for it or not. But look, uh, things that we do, obviously, when you start, you know, you probably do know the no dribble rule to, to understand movement, cutting, facing. Um, it's hard. No one likes doing that drill, but it actually helps understand, you know, what's necessary and, you know, the, the setup moves are cutting. I think that kind of helps. And um, we talk about Australians are, are really good at motion principles. And a lot of them, I would say, um, and Americans are, are not because they're so big on just running sets where it's, you know, at the start of a set and then let them play with the movement and the motion. So I think that was, that's always a handy thing to use as a coach coming in, but you know, the goggles, you know, I'm, I, I, I'd like to think I can help people be become better shooters. Um, my husband kind of, I was a great shooter, but he kind of helped me a lot too. And just the biomechanics, each part of the body, which helps you to be the best shooter that you could be. So not just saying it's not all about just the hands. It's about it starts from the feet, you know, being loose in your hips, where the ball's positioned, the hands positioned, and you know the specifics on that. I think I mean that's just breaking it down. That's not putting any fancy gadgets in there. Yeah, sometimes we may tell them to put a coin if they're holding the ball too far on the side and they want to flick it. You know, we make them hold a coin here. So you're trying to think of things that could help us to to improve a. Uh, a bad habit that they have to, to get back to, you know, correcting certain, certain issues. But I'm sure there's probably other gadgets out there that people have used, but, you know, I think it's all about just repetition. That's what I say to my son too. It's like, Hey, if you want to be a great shooter, like don't go, you got to shoot at game speed and then get shots that you'll get in the game, but keep working on your weaknesses. It's just like me, I could shoot, but, you know, dribbling, that wasn't one of my, my strengths. I still don't think it was my biggest strength, but I became, you know, okay enough that I can actually be a point guard. But my favourite position was a shooting guard. And, and that's why I said it's like you've got to keep working on all the fundamentals. That's the most important thing. I think if you've got sound fundamentals, um, you're going to make a really good player and then it's just hard work and dedication from there. Sandy, I'd like to jump across if I could for a minute. You talked a little bit before about being a female coach and getting women in, involved in sports and keeping them involved. You know, the sad reality is if you go back to – I'm just looking at my stats here. The Rio Olympics 2016, only 11% of all the accredited coaches were women. It's, it doesn't seem right. So I'd like to ask you, it's a very big question, but what could be done to get more women into coaching? Uh, that, I mean, that is a great question. I think that's being spoke about more and more. 
today because 11% is not a lot. But look, I think in the high level, you know, national teams, I always, you know, I, I think it's great that I get an opportunity uh, as a woman to lead uh, our the Australian team. But, you know, I, I'm hoping that I got it because I was the best person for the job, <laughs> not because of my gender. Um, and I think at those levels, you have to think who you think is going to be the best person. But at the same time, I said, I think we've had, we have a lot of former players, you know, have so much experience, played many Olympic games. And, yeah, maybe they went and had, you know, children and, and but now are getting into to coaching. I think it's important making sure that our associations, our organisation, organised teams that run the teams um, are providing opportunities for coaches to maybe entry-level coaching opportunities where they can continue to learn, providing them with more clinics. Um, I think Basketball Australia and Peter Lonigan does a really good job, um, you know, of getting more women uh, these opportunities. But then it comes to the, you know, each association making sure that if someone's good enough to do it, that we're providing them with those opportunities. You know, I'd like to see more than 11%, definitely. Sandy, I might just, I've taken so much of your time. I'd just like to ask one final question if I could. I know that you're still early in your coaching career with a long way to go and many, many goals ahead of you. But if I was to ask you to stop and look backwards from what you've achieved so far, what is it you think the legacy that you've left behind you to now is? Yeah, um, (laughs) hopefully positive. (laughs) Yeah, no, look, I I would think, and I've said it uh, many, many times, it's, I'd like to think they look back and then I've, you know, being a servant leader, being someone that, you know, obviously paved the way for others to dare to dream. Um, You know, I'm, I think, you know, it's a great honour for me and a great privilege to be able to do what I've been able to do, but it doesn't come without the opportunities given from those above me. So, you know, my first head assistant coaching job, I just retired in 2004 after Athens Olympics and I knew I wanted to coach at the highest level in the WNBA and, you know, just reached out to Dan Hughes and we just started talking. He didn't, he knew me as a player and he enjoyed watching me as a player and coaching against me. Didn't know me as a person and um, he gave me that opportunity. So forever I'm grateful for that. It just gave me the taste of coaching and, and, and gave me the ability to continue to grow each and each, um, every year with giving me more responsibilities. And then just taking, you know, obviously my husband's a coach and he's kind of helped me along the journey too. But, you know, all the people that have helped me. You know, but I like to say in the end, it's like I had to be who I am with my personality. You know, obviously a hard work and you talk about intense, but intense in the right way because want to make it a fun, a fun, enjoyable experience. I mean, that's why I talk about culture being so, so important for, you know, who I am as a leader. Because I think once you have the right culture, the successes will come, but you continue to learn from the negative experiences as a group. And that, you know, starts with me as a leader. It's like, okay, you know, what do we want to achieve? You know, we want to win a gold at the, at the Olympic games. Okay. Well, that takes a lot of hard work. That's a, you know, sacrifices dedication, but like in the end, I want to make sure that they think that, you know, they think I was a servant leader and, and that I was there to help each and every one of them to be the best that they could be. Sandy Brondello, I can't think of a better place to end this discussion with that wonderful thought at the end. <laughs> Pave the way for others to dare to dream. So I'd like to thank you for your time today and I wish you all the best on the road to that gold medal. Thank you, Paul. Great to be here. The Great Coaches Podcast. 
Hi everyone, it's Paul here, and you have been listening to our discussion with Sandy Brondello. The key highlights for me were her experience of family life on a farm and how this shaped her own approach to building sporting teams, the importance of selflessness in athletes in team sports, and the great stories she shared from the 1988 Olympics, where she played very little time to illustrate this and her views on being a servant leader and why relationships with athletes and people who support the team is important to enable this. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. In our next episode, we will be speaking to Australian Rules Football League coach Paul Ruse. But they don't want to hold each other accountable and have what we call in our business real talk. Just have real conversation with each other. This is what it's expected of you. Well done. You did it really well. We don't do it like that. Don't do it again. So they're not prepared to have those really honest conversations and hold each other accountable. And that's that concept of good to great. You know, it's, it's easy to be a mediocre team. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.